Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now we're in the business end of the season. No more buys. Eight games a week for the next seven, eight weeks, give or take, before the finals. Nine games this week, if you include Origin, Tom. And I guess we may as well kick start with that. Obviously, it's the Origin 3 up on the uh, Gold Coast, given it was meant to be down in Sydney, then in Newcastle. But, you know, the the pandemic has altered the course of, of Origin, if you will. And I think for the first time in its history, it's going to have all three games up in Queensland. And it, it, it's, I guess it's difficult to see at least based on the way they've been playing Queensland winning this one, Tom. But you'd think that, I guess, for a bit of momentum heading to the next series, obviously this is probably very close to what they would deem as a full-strength side as well, given with the you know, the return of, uh, you know, obviously moving Kurt Capewell into the back row and picking a centre that is actually a centre rather than all this, you know, wishy-washy selection process that they've gone through. But... I guess at the end of the day, the firepower for New South Wales might still be too much. Yeah, absolutely. I think Queensland will be a lot better in attack and in the chance that they do get, I think their main man there is obviously, no surprise, Kaelin Ponga. Obviously, uh, Ponga coming back into that squad is going to provide them with a lot more options in attack. Uh, I think we'll see them run the ball a lot more. I think that they tended to go straight to the kick in games one and two as the first choice option. We saw them try and target Brian Toto a number of times, both in the air in game one and then on the ground in game two, and it didn't seem to work. So I think they'll be really looking to trouble the Blues on the ground, uh, running the ball. We know what a dynamic ball runner Kellen Ponger is, and he has that ball-playing ability that is so dangerous. They've also got Hamiso Tabuai Fado in there, as you mentioned, Ricky, and uh, he's going to bring a lot of speed, a lot of X-factor alongside Xavier Coates. It's such a a unique and dynamic combination where you've got Coates, uh, Tabuai Fado, and then Kellen Ponger inside them. They're three of the most lethal players in the competition. I think on uh, Queensland's behalf, it's going to be really exciting to watch those three pair up together if they get enough chances in attack. And the key to that is going to be stopping that potent Blues backline that's absolutely demolished the Queensland defence in games one and two. And for mine, I think we're going to see something very similar, even without the likes of uh, Luai and Cleary running the ship. I think that we're going to see a, a pretty similar performance. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mitchell Moses play a very similar role to Nathan Cleary, probably pretty conservative. He'll take care of most of the kicking while Jack White and uh, takes care of most of the running. And for mine, I just think that that combination between James Desco, Latrell Mitchell and Tom Trevojevic is going to be too strong. Undoubtedly, the player of the series is going to come from those three. And whoever has the better game tomorrow night will probably pick up the medal. Yeah, they certainly will. And I mean, I, you know, either of the three would certainly be just recipients of it. But I guess with Queensland, Tom, and you know, I, I don't say this to annoy Manly fans, obviously, you know, he's his is a you know a legend among Seagulls fans and in their circles. But is it time, regardless of whether Queensland win this game or not, is it time that they maybe move away from Dale, from Daly Cherry Evans as the halfback, given that arguably you have the likes of Ben Hunt, who's on the bench in better form, and even younger guys, although they may not be ready for Origin, but you know Sam Walker and you know other other young guns that are potentially there or thereabouts you know, playing, I guess, well enough to at least be looked at for the future. Is, is it time for Queensland to move in a different direction there? Personally, I don't think so. I think that some of the crews has probably been unwarranted on uh, daily over the first two games. Obviously, Queensland's defence just wasn't good enough and they didn't get him into a position where he was able to put good attacking kicks in. He was obviously 
finding himself coming out of his own end more than not because of that strong Blues defence that's just stifling. And uh, Terry Evans, he's kicking out of his own end, hasn't been in the attacking positions he needs to be, and I don't think he can put any half back in the league there, and it would have made a difference to the scoreline. I don't think Sam Walker's ready yet. We've seen over the last couple of weeks he's having some troubles with his shoulder. His body's not quite there. He's still developing. Ben Hunt, I really like him at hooker. I think that's his spot for the moment, especially without Harry Grant there for this game. I think that Ben Hunt, I spoke about it before on the podcast, but just his defensive performance last year, making 50 tackles a game, almost won it for Queensland the whole series. I think that that's probably the best spot for him there. He's so good defensively. He just does a job at hooker. He's probably not the best runner of the ball. He's not a Harry Grant or a Damian Cook, uh, but he can definitely do a job. And I think that deserves to stay in that, that spot. He he was the one that led Queensland to that miraculous victory last year. They won the unwinnable series. And uh, for mine, I think it's his spot for now. Yeah, look, I mean, certainly we know what a talented player that he is. And like like you've said plenty of times before with club form and even as you just mentioned, Tom Agamemma, I guess... You know, halfbacks cops cop the most flack, but obviously, what 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 they're able to do is limited in terms of how well or how badly their a four pack is playing. And you know, when when you don't have ball and you know when when you can't get over the advantage line into the field position that you need it, it just makes life that much more difficult. And you know, when when you're kicking from your own 20 meter line or your own 30 meter line, rather than kicking from the opposition. 30 or even opposition 40 obviously makes such a difference and and uh, look I mean obviously you know I mean it's I'm sure it's not something that Queensland fans have not pondered before but certainly I guess it's if you're a Queensland fan it's good to know at least that you have guys waiting in the wings that can one day step up even if they're not ready for it but certainly it's a chance for you know for, for Cherry Evans to just say yeah hey I'm still your guy you know even even if I'm getting a bit, you know, a bit older, I'm still that that uh, level head, that the elder statesman that you need in the halves just to try and control the ship. Absolutely, and you look at that golden generation that Queensland had when they had so many great players come through the squad. You had Thurston, you had uh, Smith, Cronk. Those guys came in quite young, where they were still guided into Origin by those, as you mentioned, the elder statesmen, the guys who've got plenty of experience in that Origin arena. And I don't think you can win a series without having some of those guys around the squad. And as mentioned, he won it for them last year, Terry Evans, as captain. I really don't think that should be overlooked. Yeah, we're certainly in for what is hopefully a closer, uh, you know, a closer contest. Obviously, you know, be, be good to see Queensland score, score a few more points, just you know, m- make a fist of things. But certainly, New South, New South Wales will do all they can to prevent that from happening. And obviously, with Origin, it means that club games only start on Friday this week. So. Rather than the typical Thursday night game, we revert to two games on Friday and three on Saturday and Sunday. And Friday night, Tom starts us off with the Gold Coast Titans and the Parramatta Eels up on the Gold Coast. And obviously, both teams are coming off the bye in round 17. You know, plenty of time to, I guess, recharge the batteries. On on paper, this one certainly looks, you know, suggests that the Eels are going to win. But I think this is... And and I say this obviously as an Eels fan, as everyone knows, but I think this is this is almost a bit of a danger game in a way for for the Eels. Obviously, they do have one of the toughest runs home. Obviously, it's it's Titans and Canberra in the next two weeks, and then we go on to play the Storm, the Bunnies, the Roosters, and the Panthers in uh, four of those last five weeks. So it's certainly 
this is the sort of game that you do need to be winning just to continue that momentum. But as as we're starting to see with this time side, Tom, they may have just found their mojo. Yeah, absolutely. They've had a good couple of weeks and the buyer would have definitely helped them just build on those combinations that they've had, uh, that they've been building in those in those strong few weeks. And for mine, it really comes down to the battle of the forwards in this one. It's going to be interesting to see who plays, who doesn't back up from origin. Obviously, team lists were announced this end. And it was good for the Titans to see that Moaki, Proatoeka, David Feeder, and Tino Fasu Malawi all named to play, as well as Junior Polo for the Eels. Whether that stays the same come game day, I guess we, uh, we're yet to see. Obviously, uh, they've got Sam McIntyre, Sam Stone, having SASA, uh, and Mitch Rain all sitting on the extended reserves. So uh, any one of those could come into the squad and definitely do a job for this uh, Titans side. For me, we've spoken about him so many times throughout the season, but the key is going to be stopping Isaiah Papali'i. And the Panthers weren't able to do that back in round 16. Isaiah Papali'i had an absolute barnstorm of a game, scored a try, 36 tackles there. He had nine tackle breaks as well, a line break. So he was just racking up the stats. And uh, if they can put a stop to Isaiah Papali'i on one edge and Ryan Madison on the other, it's going to go a long way to stopping the momentum of those edges and from, uh, from preventing those wider guys out, outside of them from scoring. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a revelation. I mean, I think it, it you'd be, you'd have to, or not not brave, I guess that's the wrong word, but you'd have to certainly, I guess, maybe be watching different games to not suggest that Isaiah Papali has been the buy of the season. I mean, this is a guy that it was initially going to start off the bench as a, as a bench forward to play in the front row. And, you know, obviously Bryce Cartwright breaks his draw in preseason. Ryan Matteson has an extended period out because of his concussion history, and Isaiah Papali makes the most of his chances. And obviously, you said he, you know, even though he prefers the front row, he'll play wherever Brad Arthur tells him to, and he's certainly made the most of it. I mean, I think, as you said, yeah, nine tackle busts, and I think in round 15 or round 14, he had something like 11 tackle busts. And the only way you can describe the way he runs is just, it's just, uh, a bullocking run like he literally just one of those guys just refuses to go down or I mean almost very similar to NFL players where you know they just they just put their head down and and just it's 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 just that desire to to break as many tackles as possible that that sets him apart from the rest and I think you could even go as far as to say at the moment he's probably in the top three or four back roles in the game yeah 100% I think it's been a really fascinating clash, this one. Obviously, Friday, 6 p.m., not a time slot we typically see the Eels play. And for mine, the two sides, even though they're worlds apart on the ladder, they're not too different statistically this season. Just having a look at some of the stats, only a couple of points in it in terms of average points scored. But where, it really, where the Eels really have the advantage in this game is the average points conceded. They only conceded 15 points a game compared to the Titans, 27. I think if the Titans let the Parramatta score over 20, 24 points, they're going to price themselves out of this game. They're not going to be able to win it. They've got to really hold tight for the large portion of this game and then bank on the fact Parramatta don't have a great record up there uh, on the Gold Coast. They've only won four of their uh, since the Titans' inception back in 2008. So Eels, I'm sure, will be looking to, to break that hoodoo. Well, the Eels and hoodoos, Tom, they're just... Yeah. You know, it's, 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 always, it's always been the three venues, the Gold Coast, Canberra and Melbourne. Well, obviously, we've got... We, we broke the Canberra hoodoo earlier this year after goodness knows how many games, like four wins in 22 games or whatever it was. And he's a chance to break the Gold Coast one against the Gold Coast, as you mentioned. And 
as I said, look, it, it's obviously the Eels are going to go in as favourites, as they should. They're obviously, you know, in the top four. They're flying high. As I said, you know, you, you snag these two wins against, I guess, inconsistent opposition certainly puts you in good stead uh, moving forward. And I guess a team, Tom, that were probably disappointing last week, given how well they managed to play with Tom Trebojevic previously this season, was the Manly Seagulls. I mean, I think even we said on the pod, Last week with with Nat uh, Manly and Canberra, you would have expected Manly to get the get the win. They didn't. It was anything but. If anything, Tom, they were almost or not, not almost. They were disappointing against uh, a Canberra side that certainly dug deep and came away with the win. Absolutely, it's a real concern for that Manly side. Obviously, we spoke previously about how they were able to carry the momentum forward that they built with Tom Trebojevic. But when Turbo is out, they were able to do that in that Cowboys game back in, I think it was round 13 or round 14, where they put 50 points on without Tom Trebojevic. Last week was just worlds apart. It was an absolutely atrocious performance from that Manly side. They were just able to get nothing going in attack. And obviously, uh, that stemmed from their poor defence. They just let too many soft tries. And I think of that Tom Starling try right at the start of the year, just basically waltzed through the defence. There was very, very little... Uh, resistance there for the, the Raiders hooker and he, he went through and from there it was all the Raiders. This is really one of the most unusual games we're going to see this season for mine. We've got Tom Trebojevic who's probably not going to play. I think I'm 95% sure that he won't be backing up. Cherry Evans likewise probably. It's going to be interesting to see whether they, they do roll them out but you just think that they're too valuable to this Manly site as we saw last week. Uh, for them to risk playing only two days apart as well. Such a short turnaround. And then you've got the Dragons, who obviously are missing so many players due to the uh, NRO imposed sanctions from the Paul Vaughan incident a couple of weeks ago. We get another look at Tyrell Sloan, which is going to be exciting at the back. He's going to combine with Cody Ramsey and Jared Bell on, on his uh, on his wings. And then obviously Matt Dufty, Tyrell Fui, Mayono and Cave Dale. So we're going to serve their suspensions this week before some of the others uh, serve theirs later on potentially missing Ben Hunt and Tarek Sims as well, who are both going to play critical uh, roles for their respective states. Obviously, Ben Hunt, as we mentioned, he's going to have a key defensive role as well. So I doubt that we'll see Ben Hunt. They've obviously got Jaden Sullivan on the bench there to cover for him. So this could be a really different looking, two really different looking sides uh, to what we'd normally see at full strength. Yes, certainly. Well, I I think it's safe to say that if, if the Dragons have Ben Hunt, I think with a a manly side that's potentially without Tom Trebojevic, they're right in the contest. But if Ben Hunt doesn't play, obviously, as you said, because he's going to have uh, a major defensive workload playing hooker in a you know, traditionally tough game like Origin, they probably don't win. And I, I think that's that's almost a testament to, to Ben Hunt's character and the way he controls this Dragon side, as we've seen so far this year, Tom, in their wins. Yeah, absolutely. And I overlooked Adam Clune's name there as well. He'd probably be the one that comes in for Hunt before Sullivan. But Clune's got a lot of experience at NRL level over the past year and a half. But it's just that combination that Norman and Hunt have together that have demonstrated on a number of occasions throughout this season. It was only a couple of weeks ago in that comeback win. I think it was against the Warriors where they were able to put uh, put on some late tries there. I think it was three tries in 12 minutes to save the match. Obviously, Cody Ramsey diving over after the siren and the combination that they built together was super critical in building each of those tries. They love to spread the ball too wide of the ruck, get it to the outside men where they've got so much strike power in guys like Ramsey, Willie Army, Jack Bird as well. Uh, what's the power running there? A bit of speed from Ramsey and 
for mine, I think that Manly will probably be too good with this weakened dragon weakened dragons lineup. But I'm definitely with you, Ricky. If Ben Hunt plays, they're going to be right in the contest. Yeah, he certainly makes all the difference. And as will players like Jack White and, and Josh Papali for Canberra. Tom, obviously, they're playing for New South Wales and Queensland, respectively. Canberra's up against the Sharks, also on the Gold Coats. Again, all games are in Queensland for the foreseeable future, given the ongoing pandemic in Sydney. And, you know, obviously, the Sharks got that victory, Tom, against the Warriors 20-12. to Probably, I mean, outside of that 20 to outside of that, the last 20 minutes of the first half, they were probably still, I guess, not clicking as well as they would, a bit clunky, and against the Raiders side that's coming off a, a pretty good victory against Manly last round, a bit of confidence is back, particularly if the Origin players can 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 back up as well and, and help them get on the front foot. We Could, could this be the start of a, a Raiders resurgence? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a really fascinating one to watch this Raiders side over the next six weeks. I think that this next six weeks is going to be critical for how they decide to go about their off-season in terms of their player attention. I think there's probably a number of players playing for contracts next season after the start of the year that they've demonstrated. I mentioned it on last week's show, but it's cra- crazy to think that after the year from hell, supposedly, for the Raiders, there's still only one win outside the top eight and a win over the Sharks this week theoretically, if it's uh, by, what, 20, 30 points, they could be in the eight come the end of the weekend. So uh, it's a remarkable turnaround that they demonstrated last week against that weekend Manly lineup. A really critical win for the Sharks. As mentioned there, with the top eight race starting to form up for the end of the season run, the Sharks now move into eighth spot. They'll be chasing the Dragons. They've got a nice cruisy run home, so you'd probably expect them to end up in seventh spot. But probably contextually, this is the most important game of the weekend. And yeah, a win for the Raiders would be absolutely huge. Yeah, it certainly will be. And obviously, business end of the year, they want to get the wins on the board. And I guess another team, Tom, that it, it, they've been inconsistent of late. They're probably they're not at their best, and it's certainly not the side that we've been accustomed to seeing over the last, you know, three, four, five years. They did win last week, the, the Sydney Roosters, obviously. But, gee, it was not a pretty win at all against a a bulldog side that has been put to the sword by so many this year. No, absolutely not. You've only got to look to that last place, Sam Walker running it back 90 metres, controversially somewhat, but uh, getting the job done. But who would have thought that the Roosters would be forced into that sort of measure up against a side like the Bulldogs who have struggled so much so far in 2021. Their back five is going to be critical this weekend up against the Cowboys. Obviously, we're not quite sure how both sides are going to line up given the impact that State of Origin could have Good signs for the Roosters in that they've got a, a what is it, a five, six-day turnaround uh, for James Tedesco to back up. I'd probably see him sitting out this game, uh, but if he plays, that would be absolutely huge. I think that the Roosters would rocket into favouritism if he was to suit up on Saturday evening. And likewise, the Cowboys, they're going to be really sweating on the availability of Valentine Holmes and Hamiso Tabuifado uh, playing for Queensland there. One thing I really enjoyed watching last weekend out of the Cowboys, even though they didn't get the win, was a little bit of a bounce back from Jason Tamalolo. He hasn't had the greatest start to the year so far. Obviously, he was criticised earlier in the season by Todd Payton. But he was back to uh, uh, his tackle-busting best. He produced five tackle busts and uh, brought the offload back out, which was good to see. He had a couple of offloads and a line break as well. And I think that uh, giving Tamalolo more ball, more minutes, uh, we all know what a damaging runner of ball he can be. It could be enough to trouble the Roosters. I think I remember a game back at the old Sydney football stadium back 
Well, both these sides were at their close to their prime. It might have been 2017 or 2018, and the Cowboys came out and shocked the NRL and beat the seemingly unbeatable Roosters at the time. And who knows, we could be seeing a similar performance. We saw it a couple of weeks ago when the Broncos came up against the Roosters, and I'm sure the Cowboys will be looking to emulate the form of uh, their Queensland counterparts that night. Yeah, they'll certainly need it, Tom. And I guess if you're a Cowboys fan, you know, obviously a lack of defence is why they lost that game. And typically it's always one side that cops the brunt. But, gee, both sides or both edge defences last week, Tom, obviously Alex Johnson scored twice. Tane Milne scored a hat-trick, both wingers. That's got to be concerning if you're Todd Payton to be letting in that number of tries on both of your edges. Absolutely. The right edge defence of the Cowboys has been really concerning so far this season. I think I mentioned it last week that they concede something like 40 or 45% of their tries down that edge as opposed to and also the left edge. But it, as you mentioned, Ricky, it was that right edge attack of the Rabbitohs that really got the job done through Campbell Graham and Tane Milne. Uh, Cody Walker fighting both sides of the ruck really troubled uh, that Rabbitohs lineup. And if James Desco plays, we're going to see something very, very similar uh, from Teddy. We know he likes to pop up both sides of the play. He's going to be floating around out the back, and that really troubled the, uh, the Cowboys. And I think the Roosters, if Tedesco is able to play, or potentially, if not, Joseph Manu out the back, uh, is going to play a very similar role. Yeah, he certainly will, and they'll, they'll need a player like Joey Manu to step up the Roosters in this game and you know hopefully get the job done and, and play a little bit better than... Then they did it again against the ball also because that wasn't pretty, as earlier mentioned. And I guess a side that needs no introduction or hardly any introduction, Tom, they don't need any fanfare because, frankly, they don't ask for it. They don't want it. That's the Melbourne Storm. They're flying high. Still no Ryan Pappenhausen no Harry Grant. Obviously, origin affected, which really doesn't affect them at all, as, as we've seen so far this year. They come up against a Knights side who... You know, obviously, they got the Storm this week, it's the Roosters next week. But after that, they've got a pretty smooth run home. So you'd imagine, Tom, if the, if the Knights can snag one win in the next two games against, you know, top, you know that top four, top six opposition, they're going to put themselves right in the hunt for that run home to, to nab a seventh or eighth spot come, come the end of the regular season. Absolutely. I don't even think they need to win either of the next two. I ran a simulation last week for the rest of the season. I had the Knights finishing eighth in the potential Knights-Titans game in round, I think it's 22 or 23, being the deciding factor. I think whoever wins that game will probably be the one to round out the top eight. Uh, given the draws that both of those sides have moving into the finals, they do have nice cruisy draws, as you mentioned. Great time to get Melbourne, obviously, coming off the back of origin. Are we going to see Cameron Munster line up this weekend? Josh Adderick-Carr, obviously, in the forwards. They've got Felice Kafusi, Dale Finucane, who are both going to play Big roles for their respective states in the Ford pack. Uh, you'd imagine that both of those two guys are going to go through a mountain of work uh, tomorrow night. And for mine, I think that the Storm will be too good with or without those guys. I think we've seen the role that Nico Hines can play. They're going to have Jarum Hughes, irrespective of what happens tomorrow night. For Melbourne, with a little bit of doubt around Calum Ponga's availability as well, they're just going to have too much strength, especially in that Ford pack. And with Brandon Smith running the show in that nine jersey, he's been absolutely exceptional. What a try scoring run he's been on. Yeah, the cheese loves a good try, as we've seen this year, that's for sure. And, geez, what a nickname, the cheese. But uh, that's a story for another day. And, look, I mean, obviously, in, in the absence of Harry Grant, he stepped into the role well. And, you know, he, he knows that when Harry Grant comes back, he's going to go to the bench. But, certainly, 
you know, he just sucks it up when he plays, and when he plays, he plays well. And you know, he's along with Jerome Hughes or and Nico Hines has you know certainly managed to really have that storm side gelling, even in the absence of the the other stars, whether it be through injury and origin. And I guess the team as well, Tom, that has a chance to do that this week. It's going to be the Penrith Panthers. Obviously, they've got their own fair share of players backing up from origin. Uh, Kurt Capewell, Liam Martin, Brian To'o. We know that Cleary and Luai are both injured. And I guess with the Panthers, obviously, with these, particularly with Luai and Cleary still both injured, Tom, you know, the really apart from that one half against the Sharks, the second half against the Sharks, where Matt Burton just took over the game, I guess if you're a Panthers fan, you have a little bit of concern that the attack is, uh, you know, not cohesive enough, that it's too clunky and, you know, probably not at the level that it wants to be at, given the high standards that Penrith have. But I guess with that being said, you'd still expect this side to get the job done over the Warriors, who were not overly great against the Sharks. Yeah, no, certainly not. Vince Walsh had a quiet afternoon out and, and like Queensland over the first two games of the Origin Series, it was just a product of the Warriors not being in the right attacking positions at that time. They made crucial errors. I think I mentioned that it might have been last week or the week before. It was in that uh, Dragons game that went to goal point that they just kept dropping the ball at the most inopportune times. And I think we saw that on the weekend as well. They just had a tendency to make errors just as the pressure was starting to build on Cronulla. And that was all relieved and uh, the Ducks were too good to capitalise. They're going to have to be perfect against this Penrith lineup. This weekend, although I do think Penrith are vulnerable without Jerome Willi and without Nathan Cleary there, Matt Burton and Tyrone Day were far from convincing in their stints uh, back in rounds 12 and 13 up against the Tigers and the Sharks when the Panthers got their only two losses of the season. Tyrone May in particular really struggled both in attack and defence. He was better last week uh, against, he was better two weeks ago up against your Eels, Ricky. But for mine, this is the time to get Penrith and I think that Penrith would be really looking to get uh, a couple of quick wins on the board here just to build that momentum, build that confidence again, uh, because they're going to be in a bit of a, a downward period moving into the finals uh, there without their too hard. Yes, yeah, certainly pl- plenty of exciting stuff to potentially come from that game and yet another chance for Matt Burton and Tyron May to get the Panthers over the line. Warriors need a win. Again, just to stay in that hunt for the eight, obviously so much unpredictability exists there. And I guess, you know, your Tigers, Tom, they play on Sunday. The finals are probably, I, I guess, the way that they're playing, you'd, you'd like to think that they can get better to make the finals, but it's got to be a big improvement. I mean, I guess they've got no better chance against a, a Broncos side who have had their fair share of inconsistencies as well. And we've got two guys making their debut for the Tigers this week, and our old debut that is. Obviously, we have Junior Paga, who... He's going to play at Sensor. I think he, uh, we were discussing before the podcast, played a bit of Queensland Cup for Redcliffe. I think he's played for a couple of teams there as well. 25 years old, so it's, he's certainly not a young guy anymore. And I guess the second debutant that you can probably tell us a bit more about, Tom, we have Tukimihia Simpkins. Obviously, you know, I think he came from the Cowboys, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, certainly highly rated edge forward that has a chance to impress off the bench this week. Yeah, massive wraps on Tukey Simpkins. I'm really excited to see him play. Uh, by all reports, he's an absolute gun. Only 19 years of age, coming out of the uh, Red River, 192 centimetres, 105 kilos. So he's a big unit, a real bulking runner of the ball. And fingers crossed that he can emulate 
uh, form that we've seen from both the Tigers' second rowers this season and attack. Which Gunaway we were and Luke Garner have been exceptional. And I think when Tuki comes on, he's going to play a very similar role, whether we see him at walk or uh, on the edge. I think he probably played a very similar role to what we've seen from Sean Bloor over the last couple of weeks. Hasn't quite had the impact that was probably hoped for from Tigers fans coming back from that uh, wrist injury they had at the start of the season. Uh, fingers crossed that Tuki has a great debut because uh, I think he could be a real, real long term talent for Tigers fans to keep an eye on. And then, yeah, obviously, Junior Palga there really shocked me when I heard that he was going to be uh, getting a run on today. News broke earlier in the day. And to be honest, he's not someone that I, I've really followed throughout his junior career. But just some of his stats that I've been reading today from this year's uh, Interest Super Premiership, playing for the winner, Manly Seagulls. He had four appearances there, but four tries, three try assists, three one. He had an average of 143 running metres each game. So he's been playing some exceptional footy there. And you know, fingers crossed he can bring that form straight into the NRL arena. Obviously, the Tigers have struggled in their back four or five so far this season. I really love that we get to see Adam Dewey back in the, the six. I think Tigers fans are, uh, are cheering because it seems like Michael Maguire sort of took the form of that one game against Newcastle in Magic Round with Embi at the six. It was counted as a bit of an experiment and it worked, but since it hasn't really reaped the rewards that Michael Maguire would have hoped for and we get to see Adam Dewey back where he was so dangerous in that six jersey earlier on in the year. He's going to be up against ex-Tiger Tyson Gamble, who I'm sure will be trying to get under the skin of plenty of the Tigers players, as he's done over the past few weeks. And fingers crossed for us Tigers fans that the Tigers can get one up over Tyson. Yeah, they'll certainly hope so. And as I said, now, now there's no time like the present to start getting those wins and at least apply pressure to those teams that are only still somehow slightly above you. That's... Uh, that's the given the closeness of that competition from positions eight or six to fourteen, or seven to fourteen, basically. And the final game of the round, Tom. Obviously, we have the Bunnies and the Bulldogs. There's probably not as much to say about this one. The Bulldogs were obviously gallant. They they fought as hard as they could against the Roosters, as you said. You know that that's uh, Sam Walker play where he ran 90 meters backwards. You know potentially took away one last hail mary play from the Dogs, but you know, as football for you, uh, I think with all that being said, the way the Bunnies' edges are clicking, the likelihood of having all the Origin Stars back, seeing as they are playing on Sunday. So it's three, essentially three, three and a half days rest uh, for the, the likes of Latrell Mitchell, Cameron Murray, uh, Dane Gagai as well, obviously, you know, playing for Queensland or New, or New South Wales respectively. The Rabbitohs are probably going to have too much firepower in this one. Yeah, you think so, especially considering the success of their right edge last weekend, as we were mentioning when we were discussing the Cowboys. Tane Milne and Campbell Graham had an exceptional game. Tane Milne obviously crossing for three tries, much to the uh, delight of many of you super coach owners who had held him for that crucial buy round. I think the Bulldogs have the points to match uh, this Rabbitohs lineup. Also, the Rabbitohs haven't had the best defensive season. It's seeing 322 points, which is a lot more than those teams around them in the top eight. Obviously, uh, your Eels, Ricky, have considered almost half that at 160. Whereas the Bulldogs, they only scored, they've only scored 188 points this year compared to almost 500 from the Rabbitohs. The Bulldogs keep things nice and simple, kick to the corners, keep good pressure on the South lineup. We saw the Tigers earlier in the year in that famous game at ANZ Stadium, the success they had rushing up and really shutting down uh, the edges of that Rabbitohs lineup and took it to extra extra time and almost got the win. I think we're going to see very similar. We're going to need to see a very similar defensive. Uh, urgency from the Bulldogs this weekend if they're to get the win, something that 
they didn't show two weeks ago when they got beat 66-0. No, they certainly didn't. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a very tough ask for the Dogs, but at the same time, Bunnies fans might have a good way to cap off the round with a, a potential big win there. And, you know, as always, you, you know, the, there's plenty of games, but there's always plenty of news. And there's certainly the NRLW has not been resting on its laurels or some teams certainly haven't, Tom. And just to run through some of the new signings that clubs have made. So Brisbane have signed Lavinia Gould, Amy Turner, Sarah, Sarah Sasha, Tony Hunt, and Lisa Kailty Matafa. The Eels have signed uh, Rakaia Horn, Anita Maynard, Jamie Ann Wright, Josephie Daniels, Seriani Naitokatoka, Taina Navidi, Emily Curtin, and Katrina Fippen. The majority of those players have come from Mounties, obviously, given that the Eels are really the only, I guess, Western side in the competition. Makes sense that they're getting those sorts of players. And that's it in terms of that. But certainly plenty of players being signed, Tom, and we're certainly seeing plenty of links to potential seven stars as well. Obviously, uh, uh, Ivania Polite, who played for the Warriors in the last tournament alongside her sevens cohort, Elia Green. It's been linked to the Titans this year. So certainly plenty of exciting, uh, I guess, opportunities coming up for these women, both from league and even the, the Rugby Sevens girls. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're seeing a number of the teams keep open uh, one or two spots in the roster with the hope that they might be able to snag a couple of the girls from the Sevens to the Olympics are finished in uh, late July. So, yeah, it'll be exciting to see whether that can Eventually, it definitely added a layer of excitement to the competition. While adding to that news, you mentioned, Ricky, we had the, the Dragons this morning unveiling their five marquee players. So they've got Kezi Apps and Keely Davis, who have been stars of the squad uh, for the last couple of years, joining 2020 Player of the Year, Shaley Bent. They've got Holly Wheeler and also Quincy Dodd, who's a State of Origin representative, uh, joining the club from the Roosters. So it's plenty of exciting, there's plenty of exciting talent uh, down in the Illawarra. For me, out of the players you mentioned, Ricky, I'm pretty keen to see how Nita Maynard goes this season. Obviously, she had a little bit of off-season turmoil uh, throughout the uh, early portion of this year. And uh, fingers crossed that she can get back into some of the form that she's demonstrated over the years, both for uh, Australia Rugby Sevens back at the 2016 Olympics and then also uh, for the Roosters over the past couple of seasons. I think we're really seeing the hooker role develop into one of the key positions in this uh, uh, women's game. We see it so often, uh, so much more often in the women's game than the men's. Uh, we said, uh, so we see the hookers get out and scoot out dummy half, especially close to the line, a lot more often in the women's game uh, than we do in the men's. And I think that the hooker is really developing into a position that is just as important as your halves and your fullback. Yeah, certainly is. Nita Maynard is definitely a little live wire or just a, a little firecracker, if you will. Obviously, it's not much of her, but she certainly plays like someone that's, that's twice her size, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, moving on to the Newcastle Knights. Now, obviously, I guess, you know, they, they have a few decisions to make, Tom, in terms of some of their personnel, but the Barry Tui, who is, you know, Newcastle's resident uh, guru when it comes to rugby league, he's got a report that Kurt Mann will be staying on for another couple of seasons. And I think, I think it's a good re-signing for the Knights, but I think if they're going to... Moving forward, I think they've got to be playing Kurt Mann in the centres. 100%. I was just about to say that. I think that his position is definitely out wide on that left centre, in that left centre position. I really like the combination of Kaelin Ponga, 
Kurt Mann and Dom Young as an edge. I think that's really exciting. You've got the height and speed of Young on the edge, the power running and the ball playing ability of Mann at centre, and obviously uh, just the dynamic running and passing game that Kellen Pongham provides at the back. As we mentioned earlier in the show, in our origin preview, I think that would be an excellent way to cap off uh, an exciting Newcastle Knights roster for next season. Yeah, certainly is. And they could have two very good edges next year, obviously, if a man stays on. Obviously, you know, Ponga floating both left and right, as you said, Kurt Mann and Dom Young on one edge, and you could have uh, Bradman Best and Heimel Hunt on the other edge. And certainly those those two blokes have formed up a handy little combination as well. So there's plenty to look forward to if you're a Knights fan. And a team that probably wants to have things to look forward to, the question is, you know, will they get that with, a, I guess, the rebuilding that they're doing and starting to do, Tom? That's the Canterbury Bulldogs. You know, we've spoken a lot about the likes of Matt Burton and Josh Adokard joining on from next season. They've signed Matt Dufty, which I think oh, was a bit of a left field one in many ways. And, you know, I guess, will he fit, will he not fit? It's only for one year, so it's almost a, a test for Dufty to say, prove yourself to us. And they've also re-signed... Arvasi Amanda Fanai and Jeremy Marshall King. And now they're linked to Paul Vaughan, Tom. So certainly plenty of stuff happening out at the Bulldogs. I mean, what, what, what I guess, what do you make of the signings and re-signings they've made and those links to Paul Vaughan? Yeah, just to start on Matt Dufty, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out because when Josh Adokar was signed for the club, I think a lot of people were under the impression that he was going to play fullback. I think that's why he wanted to sign for the Bulldogs, that opportunity to play uh, in the custodian role. And with signing Matt Dufty, does Dufty play off the bench or is he at fullback? And Adokar happy to remain on the wing as he's playing at the moment for New South Wales and Melbourne. And I think that's going to be a real tussle for the for Trent Barrett to work out over this offseason where, uh, where those two players are best. Do we see them perhaps interchange in attack and defence? He's got a lot of uh, questions to answer. Uh, Trent Barrett moving forward into 2021. A lot of moving past, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time for some of those to gel. Crucial off-season coming up for the Bulldogs. And then, yeah, look at the Paul Vaughan rumours. I think Paul Vaughan does still have a role to play uh, in the NRL for a club on the field, whether any club wants to risk his off-field dramas, as we've seen over the past year, and only in the past few weeks, has yet to be seen. Yeah, certainly comes with a bit of baggage now, that's for sure. And I mean, I guess another player that has come with a bit of bag in, in the past, Tom, but certainly you know that his head's in the right place. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He knows what he wants. He's very close, or if not already in the top three to four props in the game. That's obviously Payne Haas. And given the, the personnel that the Broncos have lost, the playing personnel they've lost in, in recent years, obviously Fafita's gone. Pangai Jr. looks like he's going as well. You know, the list goes on and on. There's a report from uh, Peter Bedell in the Courier Mail that Payne Haas could be re-signed on a 10-year deal that would essentially make him a Bronco for life. And look, I know 10-year deals or long or much longer-term deals probably haven't panned out in most situations. I mean, two of the most famous ones, Tom, obviously William Zillman at the Titans, started well, then sort of just disappeared into the into the abyss. Jason Tamalolo is, I think, the only current player on on a 10-year deal as well and certainly started out well. You know, the, the that 2017-2018 period, best forward in the game, won a Dali M in that time. 
probably hasn't been at his best the last couple of seasons. And, you know, obviously whole range of factors play into that. But personally, I, I think a 10-year deal can work for Payne Haas. I think he's the sort of player that I think, I mean, as we mentioned last week with, with his effort playing the in the 80th minute in that game against the Sharks, where, you know, you just would not expect a forward to be in that position at that time. And I think that just typifies the sort of player that Payne Haas is. And I think whether you sign him for one year or 10 years, you know exactly what you're going to get with him every single game. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have an issue with the 10-year contract for Payne Haas, especially for a guy who's so consistent week in, week out, and has been now for a number of years. What I do have an issue with from a Brisbane perspective is the potential money that's been discussed, $10 million such a large amount to commit over such a long period of time. And at that money, a contract for a forward is so high risk. I don't know. What do you think, Ricky? Do you think any prop in the game is worth a million dollars a season? I mean, a million dollars. I mean, I guess in the past, we've sort of, you know, seen that one million barrier is for the, you know, the likes of Jonathan Thurston, Cameron Smith. And I don't think even they... I think they came very close to one million in their careers, but never got the one million. So it's certainly a lot of money. And look for it. If I'm being honest, if if I was going to give one million dollars to any prop in the game, it probably would be Payne Haas. But as you said, Tom, that's a lot of money to be investing over a long period of time for the Broncos. Given that you just never know what's going to happen with the salary cap and you know how it's going to affect the makeup of their team over that ten years. I mean. You know, you keep him for one million. Do you need to get rid of two or three blokes every year just to subsidise such a an extensive long-term deal? Obviously, remains to be seen. But I mean, I guess again, to answer your question, to Payne Haas, I probably would give him a million dollars, or certainly very close to it. I think, despite you know, obviously other props playing well, I just think there is still so much upside to Payne Haas's game, both at club level. Uh, and origin level and potential international level should he be picked for Australia. So, yeah, again, from a club perspective, as you said, completely agree. It's a really big risk, but I don't, I don't mind Payne Haas getting $1 million a year. I think he's worth it. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a case there on both sides of the, uh, both sides of the way. For mine, it's probably a little bit too much at this stage. Obviously, uh, what's not to say that Payne Haas has a devastating ACL injury, you know, we don't wish that upon any player in the league, but it's definitely a possibility that we've got concussion going around in the game at the moment. There's just so many layers of risk built upon a long-term deal at such a, such a high uh, level of payment, let alone the risk of a drop in form. Yeah, for mine, it's probably a little bit too much. Oh, look, definitely. There's, there's, there's a lot of risk involved and, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the Broncos manage that moving forward. And certainly... Another Queensland team, Tom, that is having no problems in adding quality players to their forward pack. Obviously, a lot of speculation about Tyrone Peachy's future, as we mentioned uh, last week with Nat on the pod as well. And, you know, some talk that he might move to six. And that talk comes because of the signing of Isaac Liu for three years. And I think you look at the Roosters side of this last, you know, four to five years, Tom, and Isaac Liu has been a bit of a bit of an unsung hero. Yeah, absolutely. He just has a, a real knack of picking up a try at the most like opportune moments for the Roosters at critical stages of the game. Uh, he's always he always contributes both in defence and attack. 
And he's always there to take those tough runs out of his own end, but also uh, it's just a crucial piece of the puzzle in what has been such a stout Roosters defensive lineup for so many years now. He can fill in whether it's at prop or lock or even in the second row. Uh, we've seen him play in each of those positions at his time at the Roosters for various lengths of time. And for mine, I think it would be a really astute signing to partner with a guy like Herman S.A.S., who we haven't seen a lot of this season up there on the Gold Coast. But I think that they're starting to build a really nice forward pack alongside Dave Fafita, Tino Fasu, Moawi, and of course, Moaki Fodueka, who's just been a rising star of the, the Titans forward pack over the past year and a half. Yeah, he certainly has. It will be interesting to see how he fits in there. I mean, as I said, obviously, I guess if the idea is for Tyrone Peachy to move into the halves, obviously there's no guarantee he'll be at the Titans in 2022. But I, mean, I guess feasibly you'd, you'd expect uh, Big Tino to move into the front row and have Isaac Liu playing at lock. Obviously, that shifts Jared Wallace to the bench. And, you know, it's a question of, you know, you, you run with Wallace and SASA or or even, you know, Wallace and Joloff off the bench. But certainly plenty of options there for Holbrook. And as we've said so many times in the past, Tom, depth is, particularly forward depth, is so crucial in this league. Yeah, 100%. And we didn't mention there on Payne Haas, but it's just that ability of guys to play big minutes in the forward pack to cover any gaps that may occur throughout a game through injury or concussion. And I think Isaac Oyu definitely ticks that box. He's got the ability to go 55, 60 minutes plus if needed. And if called upon by Trent Robinson at the moment at the Roosters. For mine, he's been he's been one of the real underrated forwards in our, our league over the past couple of years. He certainly has been. And, you know, every team needs an unsung hero, that's for sure. And look, unfortunately, there is, a I guess, a sour note for Rugby League to end on uh, for this week's podcast. Probably a play that you know better than I do, Tom. Certainly seems to be absolutely killing it in every, every single facet for... Uh, the West Magpies in the in in the New South Wales Cup. Obviously, Alan Fitzgibbon had his contract terminated by the club across the board. So that's for NRL and New South Wales Cup uh, for a domestic violence incident. And you know, obviously, we've seen now how the NRL certainly treats domestic violence cases. And you know, the club has acted swiftly to to give him the flick, and rightfully so. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Fitzgibbon was on a training trial contract with the NRL team. He had an absolutely stellar start to the year. I first watched him in a trial at the start of the year. I think it might have been against the Roosters at Kent. And he had an absolute stormer of a game. He was a little bit shaky under the high ball because it was uh, really his first time at uh, an NRL level. Just his speed was blistering. Uh, his, a lot of Tigers fans touted him as the next Josh Haddock coming through the system. Obviously, the Fox came through the, the Tigers junior system for a while there after he moved across from Kanoa. He had 13 appearances for the, the club's uh, knock-on effect club side, 11 tries, 10 line breaks, uh, 131 metres a game. He was really killing it. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, uh, I think that all Tigers fans were on board with this decision. It was uh, quite funny to see. Only a couple of days before the decision was made, I, I saw a uh, comment on Facebook saying, no doubt Alan Fitzgibbon will be the next uh, superstar that our club lets go. And a couple of days later, they did, but obviously not in the circumstances that were expected. And uh, if this is true, fingers crossed that we don't see Fitzgibbon back in the game because uh, the NRL has had a real issue with domestic violence in the past and they've gone a long way to addressing it. Uh, obviously, they take it far more seriously now than they did 10, 20 years ago. And I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a shame, as you said. I mean, those stats, whether it's at New South Wales Cup level or not, are so impressive. And it's another, it, it's, a, it's a, a long career potentially ruined by... 
you know, an incident that is is all too rife in Australian society, unfortunately. And, you know, the, the, the Tigers should be commended for the swift stance that they've taken because certainly domestic violence has no place in rugby league nor in, 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 or, nor in life in general. Well, that wraps it up for another week of the Take the Two podcasts. Enjoy Origin tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen. Should be a good game. All the clubs are back on deck, as we've said, and may your team win and give you glory rather than sadness.